It's game day, Tampa Bay. You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Left circle, Stamkos. Holds, holds, shoots, scores! Stamkos! Again! The latest Lightning news, interviews, and more. Wow. With your host, Greg Linelli. That's great, folks. That's great right there. On Lightning Power Play. It should be another good one tonight at Amelie Arena. The Lightning taking on the Islanders. You know what's interesting? Over the last handful of years, there aren't many teams that have outright dominated Tampa Bay outside of the Islanders. The Islanders, at least this year, have owned the Lightning. They've outscored them 10-3 in two wins. I mean, it really is remarkable. Now look, the Islanders are a good team. They beat Pittsburgh last year in the playoffs, swept them. They're a team under Barry Trotz that's, well, let's face it, they're playing a lot better defensively. They're getting really good goaltending. And they're getting just enough scoring to be competitive. Now, they have the last wild card in the East right now. They have been as high as second. And they're only a couple of points out of second place right now. A very good team. But it is just bizarre to see the Lightning be on, be on the short end of the results against a team like the Islanders. So they're going to be hoping to reverse that trend tonight. And, of course, they're going to be doing it without two defensemen that have been in their starting lineup basically since um, the start of the season. Jan Ruta is out. Ryan McDonough is out. Luke Shen and Braden Coburn getting the opportunity to play. And, you know, we'll see how, how this progresses. I mean, I've got to think those guys who are injured are going to be out for a couple of weeks at least. And so if that's the case, a couple of things. How well do those guys play in their absence? And does Julian Breeswell go out and get some help right away? You know, if you make a trade, do you like to do it a couple of weeks before the trade deadline if you can? Here's the interesting question when it comes to Jan Ruta. And I almost want to throw it out there now because it's something that's not getting talked a lot about right now. And this is one of the reasons why you listen to Lightning Power Play. And we'll talk to Joe Smith about this from The Athletic. He's coming up next. Jan Ruta is an unrestricted free agent next year. <laughs> you know, we talk about defensemen and who's going to stay, who's going to go, and what players do you need to keep. And it's always interesting to see how well a player performs in a contract year. Now, look, is that the reason why Jan Ruta is playing really well? Look, I'm sure that's part of it. Obviously, playing with Victor Hedman helps. And I think you have to give credit to Jan Ruta. I think he's found a role in the National Hockey League. Took him a little bit of time, and now he's he's there. But it's almost kind of a good time to take a step back and say, okay, Jan Ruta's body of work, assuming he comes back and he plays particularly well, what, what do you do with him? I mean, especially when you take a look at the lack of depth down in Syracuse, Braden Coburn assigned for one more year after this year. Luke Shen will be an unrestricted free agent. You know you have to take care of Mikhail Sergachev, who's going to be a restricted free agent. So he's going to demand some money. You probably can't bring back Kevin Shattenkirk. But is the trade-off in some ways, all right, you know what? guy like Shen, guy like Shattenkirk leave. But if you can bring back a guy like Jan Rutza, is that something that you would consider doing? Or does Jan Ruta making three to four million dollars? Is that something that 
put you off? Because you like his production under two million. Do you like him at four and a f or four and a half? I guess in some ways it depends on how much cap space they're going to have. But as we've been hearing so much about, you know, they're going to be running into some cap situations here uh, starting next year probably because of the restricted free agents they have to take care of. But it's something to just it, – it just hit me. I was looking at cap friendly and I was just curious. And then you see, all right, yeah, that, this guy is an unrestricted free agent. What do you do with him? Because he's essentially in your top four. And quite frankly, the way things have gone in Syracuse, I don't know if you have anybody up there to take his place. We'll talk more about that with Joe Smith from The Athletic. I want to get his thoughts there. Jay Retcher will be up at 6. And then, of course, the pregame at 6.30. No better place for you to get lighting coverage than right here on Lightning Power Play. You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Peter Kutrop, left circle, cross-ice Johnson, right circle. Shoot, score! Oh, what a snipe! The latest news, interviews, and more with your host, Greg Lanelli. He would not be denied! On Lightning Power Play. All right, Lightning Power Play Live rolls along here on a Saturday. We're getting you set for Lightning and Islanders. Should be a good game. As I said before in the open, this is a team that's had Tampa Bay's number at least this year. Outscoring the Lightning by a combined 10-3 to score. Here to talk about it. What to make of the Islanders and the injuries to the back end. What does Tampa Bay do to deal with some of those injuries? Let's talk to our good friend Joe Smith from The Athletic. Joe, first off, bud, great to be with you. And before we get into the team in general, this Islanders team, boy, they've had Tampa Bay's number this year, haven't they? You don't say that a lot when it comes to teams taking on the Lightning, but the Islanders certainly are one of them. They are, and you know, obviously, uh, a very cross-coach team. They're very uh, defensively structured and, and and smart, and they they don't have as much offensive firepower as the like Matthew Barzal is one of the most exciting players I've seen. But they don't have that firepower, so they've had to beat you. They don't by not beating themselves. You know, they they play well defensively, and they're really good with the lead, and that's what they've done against the Lightning is uh, gotten off to better starts, taking a lead, and then. They're obviously hard to score. Uh, their goaltending and their and their defense. So, uh, it's really good. I think test of this week with Pittsburgh, uh, one of the best teams in the East, and of course the Islanders, another team you might see in the playoffs. Uh, to see how this, you know, more defensively responsible, more committed Lightning team handles those kind of type of tests that are more uh, difficult than let's say the West Coast trip we just came off of um, in LA at Anaheim. So I'm interested to see how this one plays out. Joe, would you say that the Pittsburgh game was Tampa Bay's best showing since the bye week? Uh, yeah, I think for long stretches, it wasn't a perfect game by any uh, stretch of the imagination. But I think overall, you know, the start that they had was really good. That they had, um, some, they had a lot of their, their top six that continued to be playing really well. And considering they played with, you know, pretty much five defensemen for half the game again uh, for the second straight game, they handled a really uh, talented forward group, um, you know, that, that penalty kill was, I think, the star of the show again with that minute and a half of five-on-three without four of your penalty killers, basically, with two guys injured and two in the penalty box. So, you know, I think overall, considering the opponent that they played and, and the type of game that they played, I think it was probably closer to getting to where they want to be versus maybe, let's say, on the West Coast trip. Anthony Sorelli not only scored a goal, Joe, he did a pretty good job of keeping Sidney Crosby in check. I guess you and I aren't surprised, but I'm wondering if more teams, more 
analysts, more writers will start looking at Sorelli and say, you know what, he might be one of the best two-way forwards in the game today. I think so. I mean, he's already on a number of guy, writers' ballots. He was on my ballot last year, uh, just talking to you know different players. They even talked to Sidney Crosby about Sorelli when he was in town this week, and he mentioned how smart a player he is and how he's always quick to the spot. You know, I mean, battles and the, and the puck battles, if you're there first, you're often getting the advantage. And so I think he is getting respect around the league, at least from teams and coaches that um, that play against him, have to game plan against him. So I think it's just a matter of time and maybe getting in the – you know, a playoff run that he hasn't really had one of those necessarily yet that he's been center stage like Braden Point has before. So I think, you know, you'll. St- I think he's a guy who would definitely win a Selkie Trophy. I, it's a, I know it's a reputation award, and there are guys that are really good as Brian O'Reilly and Bergeron, and they kind of set the standard. But I think Sorelli, with the way he's playing, um, you know, not only offensively, which is really, really a pleasant surprise, I think, but defensively has been a really a key part of, of what the Lightning are doing right now. Joe, Nikita Kucherov leads the team in scoring. He's got 65 points. Stamkos is second, and he's got 58 points through 51 games. But do you get the sense that Stamkos's production this year, it's been one of the more consistent years he's had? It just feels like he's doing everything well this season. He is. I mean, I think last year was probably one of his best years, you know, overall. Uh, the game of hockey, he said to me before the season that last year he probably felt he played as well as he did since he broke his leg in 2013. And I know he's had some stretches this year where he didn't uh, score, maybe a, a longer stretch. But overall, the way he's been playing, I think he's winning draws. He's been put out there, defensive zone, face off in the penalty kill. I think he's up to about 50%, uh, 55% penalty uh, face off percentage. He's out there, as you could tell, with him and, and Point and Kucherov are out there late in the game, protecting a one goal lead or in a 6 on 5 situation the other way, which. You couldn't, you couldn't always say it in the past uh, with him. He wants to be that go-to guy in those situations where he's protecting a lead, not just the guy to go out there and score and, and tie a game or give them a lead. So I think, you know, I think he's talked about, even in our Q&A with the subscribers this week, about how he's always wanted to evolve and be um, not just the scorer, but you know when you don't win a championship, you know all the little details that matter the most. You kind of learn a lot about what things you need to do to sacrifice to be able to, to take your team to that level. I think he's kind of obviously figured that out as the years have gone on in his career. Joe Smith from The Athletic joining us here on Lightning Power Play Live. Joe, Andre Vasilevsky is dialed in. He's been really phenomenal since, what, December 14th. Hasn't lost in regulation since that appearance against the Capitals. It feels like he's back to where he's used to being, which is elite. He is, and, you know, it's, it's funny. Like, you, you looked on social media, and obviously the, the criticism of him the first month and a half, I mean, they were valid. He, was, he wasn't quite as dominating as he was in previous years. He wasn't, you know, for the Lightning playing probably better than they were last year as far as defensively. He was giving up some more leaky goals than he was previous years. But I talked to him at the end of December, and he mentioned that he was just really, felt like he was an average goalie this season. He wasn't as consistent enough to be one of those elite guys, and he wanted to do things to improve that. And credit to him for his work ethic, continuing to find ways and goalie coach and obviously the sports psychologist Ryan Hamilton worked with him too just some mental exercises on how to handle long stretches of inactivity in a game and handling those low shot volume games where don't put so much pressure on yourself to make that next save just know hey I'm going to make this save versus you know I absolutely have to make this save or I'll be in trouble so I think a lot of really good work for him and the confidence has just risen from there and I think there's no there's no coincidence here that the Lightning's best stretch of hockey has come with him playing some of his best hockey of the season too. 
Joe, what do you make of Cameron Gons being recalled from Syracuse? There were a lot of people that felt like maybe Cal Foote should have been a guy who was recalled, even if it was for just a couple of games to get his feet wet. Was this just a matter of getting a veteran up here to play for a couple of games because the McDonough injury maybe isn't as serious as we think? Or is this just a matter of rewarding Cameron Gons because he's been their best defenseman down there? Yeah, I mean, I think there's uh, a couple of different layers here. I, I do think that the McDonough injury isn't quite as serious or maybe as week-to-week as maybe the Ruda injury is. Um, so that could be a part of it too, uh, on a temporary basis. And it, it depends on how much they want to play Luke Shen as well. They could always play Luke Shen in the lineup. And if you want a guy to be a, a depth defenseman, they still have. Um, uh, if you put Shen in the lineup, all of a sudden you still have 6D there. Um, so I think... Um, if you call up a guy to go in and out of the lineup, you don't want to call up a prospect necessarily that's a guy that's going to play, that you need to play every night. So in that case, you might have a more of a veteran guy uh, like Goss who can go in and out. Another thing is I was in Syracuse a few weeks back, and I think Cal Foot, for example, has made a lot of strides this last year. You can tell the way he moves the puck and the way he uses his stick in battles. But I still think, you know, there's still some room to grow there, and maybe they don't want to, you know, put him in that situation now, but – you know, I, I agree with you, Greg. I, I still thought there was a chance that why not take a look at a kid uh, this point of year. You know you're going to need him, especially next season, um, you know, to fill a, part, fill a role on this blue line. You know, why not give him a little bit of a look and a taste of it and send him back for the for the playoffs probably and, and get a feel for what you have in your own system. But I think the, the fact they brought him up might signal that it's a, a shorter-term thing with, with McDonough and, you know, potentially if you're having a guy – you might want to play a guy like Luke Shen, who's been played twice in the last two months, that maybe if you have a guy go in and out of the line, it might not be good to have a prospect, a guy, young kid, do that versus a guy who's been able to do that before. You know, I'm wondering, Joe, you had a chance to go down there and uh, check out Syracuse and talk to the coaches, talk to some of the players down there, and it was interesting. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Scott Wheeler from The Athletic had um, the prospect pool rankings for each organization. Tampa Bay came at 19. I was struck by the amount of prospects, at least according to Scott, uh, that maybe had some questions with their skating. And when it came to Cal Foot, uh, what struck me a bit was, and look, nothing's a slam dunk in the National Hockey League, particularly when you're projecting prospects. But it isn't a slam dunk at least according to Scott, that he's going to be a, a top-pairing defenseman, maybe not even a top-four defenseman. I think he thinks he'll be an NHL defenseman, but I think the skating maybe has some questions and uh, maybe some other things as well. Yeah, I did a, a piece, too, a few weeks back, talking to a bunch of scouts. and Ben Gruel, too, just on uh, different prospects, including Cal Foot. And a lot of the scouts have been in an agreement that you know he's an NHL defenseman. He'll get a chance to play. He's going to be able to contribute for you, but they feel he's more of like a third pair potential be a high ceiling second pair defenseman, which is still an important role to have. It's still an important role on your team. You'll still play, you know, 13, 15 minutes a game necessarily, depending on what's going on. He can still go on the penalty kill. Um, so um, I think that's obviously those are projections now. He could obviously pull that out of the water and, and be uh, better than that. It's up to him to kind of to show that when he's in the National Hockey League. But you know, there have been some questions on his speed, and he works on that tirelessly with Barb Underhill and a few other coaches, and he's really made some progress on it. He doesn't feel like as much of a question as it was maybe a couple of years ago, maybe even the draft, but um, you really know at this level, especially with this Lightning team, that's so important. And I think that's why 
you know, Jan Rutzel was one of the reasons why he was so good with Hedman is he could really move his feet. He can move laterally. He's a really good skater, and he's really smart. Um, so I think those things are, are important. And uh, this is not to, to slam Cal Foot. He's, I think he's a really smart player. I think he's got a lot of good sense. He's got the good stick. He's moving the puck better. He's got all the, a lot of the tools that you, you want for an NHL defenseman. It's just they, they want to make sure that bring him up when the time is right. And I think a lot of Lightning fans are looking forward to seeing what he can do, considering he was – Unfortunately, overall pick just a few years ago. Joe, the the cupboard is kind of bare, I would say, on the back end down in Syracuse. I mean, we've talked about Machine before. We've talked about Ben Thomas. And, you know, obviously Cameron Gantz is a veteran guy. And Foote is their high-end prospect. But I'm wondering, now with the injuries to McDonough and Ruta, and again, we don't know how long they're going to be out, even before those injuries, did you feel like the organization was going to have to address that position at the trade deadline? And now with these injuries occurring, do you feel like there's more of a push now to make something happen, even if you have to go out and get a top four guy and give up a high-end prospect for it? Well, I mean, I think overall as an organization, I think they've, they've known for a while that, you know, coming to next year, um, you look at the – what they have on the right side coming back under contract, you're not going to be able to sign Shattenkirk, I don't think, with, with what he'll be able to get on the open market. So you have Eric Chernak, who's an RFA, who's coming back on the right side. And you have, uh, you know, obviously Cal Foote, in theory, being able to come up and play for you. But other than that, um, you don't really have much there for that particular part of your lineup. And you always want to have depth, not just here, but in the HL level in case something like this happens where you do lose two defensemen in a three-day span. So, I would say they probably have been on the radar for, for someone like that, whether it's for the deadline this year or for going into the summer for next year. So I think that's something that they should, they should probably look at at least to give to see who's out there, who might be available, who might be selling a guy to, uh, re, on a rebuild process. So um, that's, the, that's the question I think for, for, for me is who might that guy be, what they have to pay for him, since they have been, have been giving up some of their, their prospects before in the McDonough trade, for example, and a pick there and, um, so you don't want to give away too much of a, a prospect pool that that's already kind of been taking a hit in some of these trades. So um, it'll be interesting to see what they do. They do have two first-round picks. Looks like Vancouver's going to make the playoffs in the, the Western Conference. So you do have a, one extra one to play with if you want to make a, a deal at the deadline. So, um, But, yeah, I think there is a, kind of a, a need potentially, whether it's for a long playoff run or for next year, because you know injuries are going to pop up in a two-month playoff run that you have guys like the defensive, especially break down and want to make sure you have guys that can step in and and play at this level. Well, I'm wondering because of that, Joe, and you bring up some valid points, that the player they get back, and again, let's assume it's a defenseman, the player they get back has term. And if that's the case, are you more willing to make a deal giving up a first-round pick or a prospect because you know you're going to have that player for at least this year and maybe next year or beyond? Does it make it a little easier to swallow if you have to give up some assets, knowing that you're going to have that player coming back in a trade for a couple of years. I think so. And that's always been their MO. I think this organization, I don't think Steve Eichmann really was a big fan of acquiring rentals at the deadline. And now there, I think Julian Breesball is. I think he said it depends on the case by case basis or who the player is, but I think they'd rather in a bigger picture, um, have a guy that they can have after that year, like Braden Coburn was in, I think it's 15 and, I think, uh, you know, Ryan McDonough, they signed long-term after that. So you have guys that you're going to have not just for that 30-40 game stretch, but for the next year, especially when it's a need and a need that is very hard to, to, to fill on the open market, let's say in a free agency or finding a, 
right shot defenseman that can play in your top four, that's going to be really costly. Or, you know, you find a guy in a trade that's very expensive, so you want it, you don't want those guys only for a short period of time. So I think if I were the Lightning, if that were a guy that was valuable, that was a guy who's going to make a significant upgrade like a McDonough was a couple of years ago, that's where I wouldn't mind doing, uh, giving up maybe that first-round pick or like a higher-end prospect, so to speak, for that. But um, obviously those guys are, are few and far between, and nobody who has those guys, like a Josh Manson, for example, wants to give those guys up. So um, it's quite a challenge I think they have to face here. And knowing that you know they do have a really good team that's capable of winning now and winning this year, uh, it's kind of a delicate line to balance with, not want to put all your chips in, in eggs in one basket necessarily, but know you have guys that could get a little bit of a boost here with a little bit of a move. Joe, which do you think is more attainable at the trade deadline, a top four right-handed defenseman or a depth forward? And should fans be a little more realistic in terms of who Tampa Bay can get? And I'm wondering, the top six on top of that, do you feel like that has become a little bit more of a priority when you factor in Gord's struggles offensively and two younger guys in Stevens and Verhege who have done good things, but you just don't know come playoff time what you're going to get from them either? Yeah, I mean, I think it's more realistic to think that that they could find maybe a rental uh, or short-term uh, guy in the in the bottom six or a fourth-line guy. And I think a move like Toronto made to get Clifford, for example, was a good example of that um, of getting a guy you can bring you some size and some edge and uh, some experience to to that kind of uh, part of your lineup. You do have two rookies, and they have played well. Mitchell Stevens has played well. Verhage's kind of found some confidence there, but they're obviously not experienced. They don't, they don't obviously have a lot of size. And um, in the playoffs, as we found out last year, a number of years back, that the space gets gets tighter and not as much room to go, a lot more things that aren't called. And you might need some guys there, like a Nate Thompson, for example. I suggested a Joe Thornton if he was ever available or interested in leaving San Jose as a guy that you can get relatively inexpensively. Um, I think that's more realistic than they say a top four defense of the deadline. Those are very hard to move and hard to, to find and, and obviously expensive, but um, it wouldn't be out of the realm of the possibility to see them address maybe a depth defenseman type guy too, uh, instead of that you know big swing if they can't get it, um, knowing who they still have here and, and that they believe that Roots' injury and McDonough's injury aren't season-ending, which they aren't. Um, you'll still have those guys back for uh, the playoffs and, and still have a pretty good top six as we saw this whole first part of the season are you surprised that Paquette and Maroon have kind of dried up offensively I know they have Kalorn playing with those guys but I'm wondering at what point does Kalorn go back to playing with Sorelli because you don't want number 17 uh, losing that offensive touch he had um, throughout the season up to this point yeah it's it's a really interesting you know dilemma for me because I think you remember back to when Gord and Paquette and Maroon were together, they were their best line. You know, they were creating offensively, and all of a sudden those guys are split up, and it's a little more of the quiet range. Your top six is dominant. You know, you look at the top two lines that have been incredible and really controlling play. They haven't really been getting much out of their bottom two lines. They've been getting some good shifts and obviously some possession. They've been getting some good defensive play, but they haven't gotten that offense. So you wonder if they might try to shake some things up. They don't want to break up the top six that's been playing well, but um, there's no question that the – Kalorn and Sorelli combo has been so effective. I've asked Cooper about that before. I'm like, why do you want to split up Sorelli and Kalorn? They've been so effective. And he's like, well, I really like the third, the line with Paquette, Maroon, uh, and Kalorn because they have some side. They really get a possession and control in the puck in their own zone. And if you put them on the ice, 
they can kind of do that. They haven't been offensively um, producing, but they obviously have had some good moments there. So, like, so we'll see what happens. I know you know Gordon is on a 34 or 35 game goal drought um, so far. So I think it just takes one of those goals to break him out of it because he's obviously mentally, I'm sure, wearing on him uh, as this process has gone on. Joe, lastly, and I don't think this has been given enough attention, and um, I figured I'd ask you now because it's, I think it's an interesting dynamic here. Jan Roots is essentially a top four defenseman for this team. He's making $1.3 million this year. He's an unrestricted free agent next year. You know about athletes when they have a contract coming up. How much of his success do you think is driven by the fact that he's playing for that next contract next year? He is playing with Victor Hedman. And how much of it is just Jan Ruta growing into his own? I guess we'll never know, but I'm wondering, that is going to be an interesting decision to make at the end of the year, won't it? It will. And I think I addressed uh, Ruta's development and his success with Hedman in uh, yesterday's story on The Athletic, just you know how that loss of, of him is, is no small loss by any stretch. And I think you, you could say that you know anybody who plays Victor Hedman is going to be have some better numbers, and that, that's accurate because he's one of the best defensemen in the league, and he can really make up for a lot of things, and obviously he can make you look really good playing with the Norris winner, but it, not everybody has had success playing with Victor Hedman. Not, they've tried six or seven guys this year, different spurts, uh, and so it, it does you know, play into his favor that he's been able to have, as Victor Hedman told me, great chemistry with Jan Rusa, and they, they think well together, and, and Rusa's really smart. He can read where where Hedman is going up the play and recover with his speed. So I think, you know, number one, help play with Hedman. But number two, you know, he's really taken a step in his development. He feels this year. I talked to him. He said he really got more physical uh, as a player, kind of similarly to Mikhail Sergachev's development, where instead of going to the corner with this, you know, stick battle, you go in there with his body, separate the guy, and, oh, you play less, you play less time in your defensive zone, you're a lot better defenseman. Uh, and he's really found that as an effective way to be better. So I think – to answer your question, yes, I think it's, he's really had a development year. He's gotten better playing in a system. He's been given confidence by the coaches that you could mean the world to him. Uh, playing in a top pair like this can show him he can play in the NHL, so that's going to do a lot for his confidence going forward. And two, I do think it's a it's an interesting decision going forward considering you don't have a lot of depth on that right side, and you, and you know him as a, as a known quantity that he can play with Victor Hedman and play well with him. So I guess that would depend on what the negotiations are like in the offseason, knowing you don't have a lot of money to spread around with the Sorelli and Sergachev and Chernak all RFA. So, um, but I think he, at least he gives you an, an option to look at if he's comfortable here and they're comfortable with him and they obviously feel like they have confidence um, in him in that situation and assuming there's no other alternatives, uh, it could be something they could think about going into the summertime. Yeah, interesting uh, decision. Joe, we appreciate it as always, bud. We'll continue reading your work at The Athletic and we'll see you at the rink. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Joe Smith joining us there. Jay Retcher from 95.3 WDAE and AM620 is up next on Lightning Power Play. You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Shot taken, Morgan! What a save by Vasilevsky! No rebound! The latest news, interviews, and more. No. With your host, Greg Lanelli. Really? On Lightning Power Play. You know, it just hit me. It that intro coming in, Yanni Gordon. <laughs> I mean, he hasn't scored in how many games now? 33, and maybe it's a sign. Who's counting? Maybe, yeah, maybe it's a sign. And, uh, you know, I actually said today when we were doing our, our keys to the game on Lightning Power Play, that because the way the Islanders play, that 
know, maybe the fourth line, you get a dirty goal. Maybe this is a Yanni Gord game where he does break through. I don't know. I mean, he probably could have said that for a bunch of other games where he did, but at some point he's going to break through, and maybe it is against the Islanders. A team who's beat Tampa Bay twice already this season by a combined score of 10 to 3, which is something you don't typically see uh, happen to the Lightning. But that's who they Lightning play, and here to talk about it a little bit more, our good friend Jay Retcher from. 95.3 WDE and AM 620. Also two hosts of Light the Lamp. And we appreciate him on the show. And if you want to hit me up on Twitter, you can at Greg Linnelli. So, Jay, tonight the Islanders kind of hanging on to a, a wild card spot. Mm -hmm. But they're a good team and they're a frustrating team to play against because yeah. of the way they play. And, boy, they've had Tampa Bay's number this year. Yeah, and I was actually at the first game uh, on the That's island. That's right, you I, were. I took my dad for his birthday. You were at the Rangers like, game, yeah. and then you went to the Islanders. Rangers, game. Devils, Islanders, Monday, Tuesday, yeah. Thursday that week. It was a, pretty what cool. A, what a great experience. Uh, but to be able to take my dad. But Mrs. Linelli would love the Islanders because they're the most honest team in the National Hockey League. Yes. They just they don't cheat, and they just play a great style where every single night they give an A effort. So, you know, that puck doesn't always bounce your way. But yeah. You don't beat a team like Dallas like they did a couple of games ago where Barzell scored in overtime. A Dallas team is good. That's one of the best teams in the league. We saw that, you know, against the Tampa yeah, Lightning. And I just, I really like this Islanders team. I mean, you think about it, two years ago they lose to Varys. They didn't replace him really with another elite goal scorer. They replaced him with Perry Trotz. Yeah, and they <laughs> replaced him in Matt. They just they anticipated that Matthew Barzell would take that next step. They yeah. actually brought Matt Martin back. So it was kind of a weird trade for like, it wasn't a trade, but they got rid of their number one center and they got their fourth line yeah. stud winger back who right. ended up scoring the other night as well too. So um, this is a tough team to play against. And I think the first two times that the Lightning have played the Islanders, it's not the same Lightning team as we see now where they themselves yeah. are playing a much more honest game. And I think it's going to be a heck of a matchup tonight. I think it's going to be much closer than we've seen the first two games. Islanders, I think, are in the top five and goals allowed. But Tampa Bay is in, like, the top ten, mm -hmm. which if you would have said at the beginning of the year, you probably would have been like, wow, I don't think that's going to happen. But are you noticing a difference with this Lightning team compared to last year, even though last year was record-breaking? Yeah, hugely. I mean, I know Julian Breezewa came out and said there was games last year where he left the building and he was like, eh, we probably shouldn't have won the game. Yeah. And then... He's leaving the building this year going, damn, we, should, we probably deserve a better fate. You're seeing it, I think, in all levels. Up front, I mean, look at the, I think there's no more play, more symbolic than that than the other night, the two-on-one goal with Pointer and Stammer. And that play doesn't happen unless Nikita Kucherov back checks, thwarts the rush from uh, who they played the other night. Penguins. Penguins, yeah. How <laughs> could you want, forget? I just wanted to make sure How you said that. How could you forget? Um, but Look, he, he was the guy that came back. Yeah. And then set actually up. have a Crosby pass. Yeah. You know what's funny, too, and I was mentioning this the other day with Ron and Ian. I've never seen Crosby get more passes intercepted than the, he did the other night. Is that on Crosby? Because I still think he's still finding his way because he missed so much time. But I also think it's because the Lightning are being more active in the passing lanes. Could be. It doesn't happen by accident. Because yeah. um, Sydney's just so good. And he's just so elite. When it, you know, he still knocks the puck out of the air better than anybody yeah, in right. the game. Um, but, yeah, I think that those two things right there, they show you, like, this isn't the same team as last year. And when you're hearing guys like Patrick Marlowe out west go, that's a totally different squad this time around. Yeah. That's the kind of style that you want this team playing going through the second half of the season, hopefully on a lengthy postseason run. And Bassey's back to being a leader. Oh, yeah. There's no that's, doubt that's about the, it. That's the number one thing. I mean, there's you could say it in baseball a lot with the pitcher, but you still got to hit and score runs. Yeah. In hockey, I know you still got to score goals, but... Man, when you have a guy like Vasilevsky and tracking the puck, it's not about his size and his agility and his puck handling, which has gotten so much better than when he first came in. 
It's the vision. You can tell in the first five minutes of the game when he's seeing the puck. I think we've talked about this before where sometimes earlier on this year when he's had his struggles, the puck would hit the backboards and then he'd flinch. And he'd, you know what I mean? Right. You're like, dang, he's not seeing the yeah. puck well. But now he's making reactions to pucks that don't even find their way through. And when he's playing at that level, Greg, it helps that you have an all-world offense and you have a defense that's getting better and learning the right style to play. But Vassy gives you a chance every night, even if you don't have those first two things. Yeah, we'll get into the back end here in just a little bit. Jay Ratcher joining us here on Lightning Power Play Live at News Radio WFLA. Uh, I feel like Steven Stamkos is having one of his best years mm -hmm. because he's been consistent. Yeah. Would you agree with that? 1,000%. And I think you look at a guy when he just got his 400th goal a couple of weeks ago and you realized how many assists he had. And I, I just harken back to asking John Cooper if he was going to be on the PK a couple of years ago when he laughed at me. Now he's like, he's... Why he's would he do taking, that? Well, it just, it was... But that's the thing is, like, yeah. I think that just answers your question. Is right. A couple of years ago, it's like, well, we don't have other guys to do that. And that's not his strength. Look at the face-off percentage, how much has gone. But yeah. I know it's taken a dip as of late. It wasn't as high as it was maybe a month or two ago. But you look at how, how honest he is in the full 200-foot game, and then you start putting him and the other centers, because yeah. I think one thing we can agree on in the last 12 to 15 years, every team that's won strength down the middle. You could say goaltending and moving the puck defensively and things like that. But if you look at Pittsburgh, when, you know, even going all the way back when they started this run with Crosby, Malk, and Jordan Stahl. Yeah. And then when they had Benino and the HBK line. And then you look at Chicago with Taves and all those guys. And sure. how good was L.A. with Kopitar and Jarrett Stoll and Richards? You know what I mean? So now you're starting to see all, and all those guys, yeah. maybe not 100-point guys outside of Crosby, and Bergeron, even Bergeron, and, and those guys with Krejci. Those guys all play a 200-foot game. So now when you have your leader, and I think in years past, you go, you know, sometimes you move him to the wing, sometimes you're like, you never confuse yeah. him with a Selkie Award nominee. Right. But I think now you're not saying that you will, but you look at his game and how he's rounded out, and you add that to Point and Sorelli who've come up as two-way centermen, it just helps that much better. It is interesting because you make a good point when, it, when we talk about down the middle and with Stamkos playing the way he has. I mean, you can make a case Sorelli should be in the conversation if he isn't already in terms of Selkie Award. Yeah. Probably same with Braden Point. I mean, reputation mm -hmm. sometimes takes over then how you're playing that specific that's year. But I think Point's been pretty good yeah, this year for that's sure. That's one of those weird positions. Like, when you look at a trophy like that where I, I say that it's almost like the Norris a little bit where you have to get into the conversation yeah. before you become the conversation. For and sure. then once you're in the conversation, sometimes it, you may not have the greatest year and no. you're still in the conversation. No. Just think about it. If no. I say who's the Selkie Award winner in the last 10 years, well, you'd say, well, did Pavel Datsuk retire? Because he seemed to win it every year. And then it was some version of Pergeron and Kopitar. And sure. Barkov has been the popular name in the last couple of years. And Ryan O'Reilly. So yeah. it's not many. there's not many names you throw in there. But I, I agree with you. Once Sorelli or Point get into the conversation, I think they'll be there. Because, you know, it's a centerman's trophy. And I don't think that's always fair either. Because I thought for years Andre Palat should get some mention. But he's a winger. They don't usually give it to wingers. Because they're not coming back as deep as centermen do. But, yeah, I'm with you. I think the Lightning not just have one. I think there's couple two guys, candidates. Yeah. Which is maybe we shouldn't be surprised when they're playing as well uh -huh. defensively. Yeah. You know, when John Cooper wants them. And we play. notice that when guys are out of the lineup, especially, I think, in the last couple of years when Palat's out of the lineup. That's true. And I don't think you've noticed it. I mean, it hasn't been out of the lineup as much this season. But last year, I think they were able to kind of hold the fort a little bit better because Sorelli was taking that role and yeah. Point was getting accustomed to being a you know 82-game NHL player. So let's get into some more difficult, I think, decisions the team is, is going to have to be making here. I, I like think. easy decisions. I know you do. Okay. I gave you the easy like stuff so you can do well. You. Like, I appreciate well, hey, that. It could be easy. Hey. Set me up. You're like a volleyball yeah, that's center. That's right. That's right. Um, do you like Alex Korn on the fourth line? 
No. And at what point do you move him back with Sorelli? <sighs> Can I say now? I don't understand. I don't understand why you do that. I mean, you want to put Sorelli with Johnson and Plot to try to get those two guys going. I, get I think that. it was more to get Johnson going. But I just like why do I don't I don't understand that. And there's moves sometimes where I'm still not you know 100 percent on point point Kucherov and Stammer together. I still think if they're playing they're this just, way, I'm okay with it. Um, yeah, but I think when, when the game gets, yeah because it's a little more up and down. When game we'll tell tonight. Well, tonight, no, tonight, I'm talking about I'm talking about being relatively disciplined, not turning the puck over. Oh yeah, yeah. They start doing that, then I. Yes, then you do of switch course. Then you do and, but I think tonight is a good proving point for no. that. And you do it against this team. Can you not turn the puck over in the neutral zone? Because there's still high-risk, high-reward plays being made sure. by guys like Kucherov and Stammer. It's just what happened. Stammer had two key turnovers that didn't lead to goals. And that's the thing. People don't yeah. notice them all the time because they don't turn to goals. Uh, but we have a little bit of a bird's-eye view here. And we go, can't make those plays. Well, they can't were earlier plays. this year. Yeah, they did go in the back of the net. Um, but, yeah, I'm with you. I, I You get a guy that's on a pace of 35 some or so goals and you're putting them on the fourth line and it just it doesn't make much sense to me i thought that they had something good going with the line before when they had maroon pocket and gourd and to put Kalorn there like i don't know maybe thinking already maybe some of that scoring touch will rub off on that line but it's such a it's a heavier line you want Kalorn, in my opinion to be the heaviest guy on the line he's not the heaviest guy on the line now so now you're like you have to be offensive if you notice Kalorn's game Kalorn's offense comes in the flow of the game it's not because he's out there one-on-one -on -one beating guys sure. and going and and like point and guy like that does. His comes within the flow of the game. It comes within the forecheck there and some nifty passing and a guy that's similar to his skill set. You mentioned a guy like Sorelli. I just I don't know. I don't think it'll. I don't think it's a long-term thing. But I, I heard Dave talking to you before this. You know, playoffs start tonight. Is Kalorn and Sorelli not together? Come on, man. you got to put those two guys together. I mean, look at what they've done. I mean, it's been magic the last two years with those guys. Especially I, on the, I would put them especially back on together. Especially on the PK. I mean, sure. I wouldn't wait. I wouldn't wait. That being said, the fourth line, what do you do there? If, if Kalorn moves up, do you put Yanni Gord back on the fourth line? And the fact that he's not scoring, if he's on the fourth line, is that as big a deal as opposed to playing on the third line with Verhege and Stevens? I don't. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I feel like we talk about Yanni Gord every six months. Um, we talked about, you know, it's always about... Only like, every six months? Yeah, well, it's about his term, and you know what I mean? It's about yeah. where he slots in. Well, he's getting guy. paid not to be a fourth line ever, too. He, I mean, he's making... That's close to $5 million. might yeah. actually be $5 I million. A lot. That's a lot of money I for a guy a who's, what, five goals? Yeah. Too much. Sure? I mean, you know, not enough, not enough. Yeah, not enough. I mean, you look at it, if you establish a line, it doesn't matter what number it is, you know? I mean, look at the fourth line of the team that the Lightning are playing tonight. In my mind, the best fourth line in hockey. I know Clutterbuck is out with a scary injury that he took, but yeah. Clutterbuck, Sezikis, and Martin is the best fourth line in hockey. I don't care what anybody says. They don't care how much they get paid. Nobody questions, like, oh, man, Martin only has three goals this year. No, they're the, worst. They're the toughest fourth line to play against in hockey. And when you get a line that works, why why mess around with it? So, I don't know, man. I feel bad for Yanni because it's not like he's playing bad. You notice him in every game. You do? He's just not scoring. So you would move him back, though, to the fourth line? I would. Yes, I would because I think that's where he suits best. And kind of the antithesis of what I was saying with with um, with Kalorn, you, want, you don't want Yanni to be – I want him to be the most – the speed guy in the line. Let the big brothers, big brother Maroon, the older brother Pocket, let them do all the dirty work, and then you bring the offense. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like three different shades of one color right there working on the same line. Heading into the playoffs, are you comfortable with Verhage and Stevens on the same line? 
And would you look to address some more depth on the bottom six, as opposed to maybe addressing some depth on the back end, specifically with the injuries to McDonough and Ruth? I think both. I think you should. You would do both. I would do both. Um, the playoffs are hard, man, and you get bumps and bruises. I mean, look at what happened last year in the playoffs. I mean, Strawman and Hedman, I mean, those are two big, big cogs on that defense. You never know what's going to happen, and we didn't think the Ruto deal was a big deal at the time, but it ended up being a pretty big deal. Uh, but I, I'm with you. I, I like that for Hagee and Stevens seem to push each other, and Stevens, to me, is the next kind of guy on the way of the – Point Sorelli mold. Will he ever be as offensively gifted as those two guys? I don't. Maybe Ryan not. Ryan Callahan has has been somebody he's been compared to. Uh, I, I wouldn't I've go heard that, that a lot. I wouldn't go that far. No, because Callahan was a little bit of a nutso because he would go out there and throw. He literally Hit threw everything. his body. And you know, I mean, he got injured twice in his career from blocking shots. One from Chara and one from Ovechkin. So yeah, sure, take the two of the three hardest shots in the league in the last twenty years and go block their shots yeah. and see what happens. Um, but, yeah, I think a depth forward, uh, that Kyle Clifford move for the Maple Leafs was a guy that I was looking at. I like a guy like Andre Kasha from the Ducks. He's 24 years old. Yeah. He's a guy that I think is a bottom six guy, but he's 24. And if he stays healthy, he's a guy I think he can get on the cheap. But he's also a guy that I think can blow up in the playoffs and score you eight goals in three rounds. Some offensive like upside. Yeah, I like that a lot. So the back end. Mm -hmm. Doesn't look like long term with Rucha and McDonough. I think they're yeah. going to be back. Hopefully within the next it's better few now weeks. than six weeks from now. for sure. But let me ask you: Did has Ruta proven to you that he is a top four on this team? You know, it's funny going into this two months ago. I said, "Why is he playing?" Yeah, I thought Shen was a good guy to have out there because of his heaviness, and he was a guy that brings a little bit of a different style of game that everybody else does because he's he's physical as hell. I'm watching Ruta. I'm like, okay, they keep putting him out there. Why? And I think too many times as fans in sports, we watch things through our own vision and go, I don't like that guy. I don't care. So I said, all right, I'm going to watch Ruta in this game, and I'm going to try to figure out why did the coaching staff have so much faith in him. And when you watch him, it's nothing crazy, Greg. He gets the puck. He passes the puck. He gets the puck. He dumps the puck. Yeah. He gets the puck. He pushes it Pretty back. Pretty simple game. It's, but that's all you need to play with a guy like Hedman. He's not going to cheat. He's not going to get caught. He makes one simple contact play physically to make sure that he knocks the guy off the puck. He's not going to lay a guy out. But I understood because it was just like, Hedy's free. Hedy can do whatever he wants because he's got a guy back there as solid. He may not, have, may not have the same name as a guy like Dan Girardi, but a very similar to game to Dan Girardi, and I watched him pretty much his entire career. I really, really appreciated, and I walked away from that game like nobody else was watching what I was watching. I figured. And I go, man, he is solid as a rock. When five guys were moving in the offensive zone, five guys moved back in the defensive zone, he never made a mistake. And it's not going to show up on the score sheet. You have to watch it. And especially with us being up here, you can watch a guy like Jan Rudy. Sure. You can't really do that on TV. Yeah. So the road games, you're like, I don't know, I didn't even notice him. But yeah. I think it's almost like an offensive line in football. If you don't notice a guy like that, it's probably a good thing. He's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. Yeah. What would you do? I'd bring him back at a team-friendly deal. I think he would want to come back because you think Shattenkirk, with the year that he's had, is probably going to get a pretty good deal, especially what we saw Strawman get last year. But what's interesting, and Dave Michigan brought this up to me, and I have to give him credit. If Shattenkirk is willing to sign for three mil, still getting paid by the Rangers for the yeah, next couple of years, would he be willing to take a team-friendly deal because he so. likes it here? I don't think so. Not at all. Okay. It, we... we I think sometimes we put a little too much stock in. We live in Tampa Bay, and we live. You're not from here. I'm not from here. But this is a guy that's got one more deal left. 
He's a right-handed shot defenseman. Well, the question is how much could he get? I guess what I'm saying is that under that scenario, he might be getting five or six. Yes. You think he could get more than that? I think he'd get right around that, but if you can get that money plus the money you're getting, because these teams aren't negotiating with you based on what you're making for the Rangers. That's none of their business. You know, that's not a negotiating play that other teams are going to say, well, he's making money with the Rangers. No, that's my money. Who are you to... You would never tell anybody that you're negotiating with. No, but it's obviously out in the open. And so that's, I think Shattenkirk understands, like, look, all right, I am getting putting, paid pretty good, but you, you and it's tax-free. Putting, putting a lot of stock in hometown discount. I'm not is, putting it. I'm just simply bringing up a I'm scenario saying, that was, was brought to me that I said, I actually didn't think of that because we've, I, I, I initially was like, you know what, there's no way. I mean, he's going to want a pretty good chunk of change. Mm-hmm. And then you factor in, all right, he is getting paid still by the Rangers. And... If Tampa Bay cleared some space and they were like, look, we can get you to three mil. Does Kevin Shattenkirk say, I really like it here. I think we can win. I've played well here. I don't know. I would love for him to do that because he's. Well, you obviously think dude. there's no chance. I, I, for his sake, I, you know, <laughs> person to person, no. Well, he's, I mean, he's. You add that money that he would make, five, six, seven million, whatever it would be, because you've seen nobody thought Anton Strawman was. And you can't possibly tell me that after the season, if he's healthy, that. You thought that Anton Strawman was better last year at that end of the year. Oh, not at five and a half million. You see what I'm saying? For but sure, like, for sure. By that number. All it takes is one team to throw it out of whack. I get it. And there's going to be a it. team out there doing it. Young, right-handed defenseman. He's not young, but I mean, he's not old by right. any standards either. And you're combining that money with the Ranger money, and you're almost making $10 million a year. Come on, Look, man. I, I, I agree with you. I don't think the chances of him coming back are very good. I um, hope so. And that's why I think with Jan Ruta, it's an interesting question. Yeah. Because nobody's talking about that. Mm-hmm. And you have some of these other guys you have to sign. Chernak, Sergachev. Yeah, that's it. Sorelli. So, so Jan Ruta comes in, and you don't, have no, you don't have great depth down in Syracuse. No. I think we're starting to find that out a bit. Yeah. And I don't think Shen's coming back. No. no. I never know. Cheaper maybe, alternative. Maybe. But, yeah. I but Ruta's think, been really – I mean, Ruta's been in your top four. Yeah. No, I'm with you. That's the thing. That's I a big deal. Bring, I think you got to bring him back. Find a way to bring I him back. I wouldn't be surprised if they try to trade for some depth. On the blue in line. In the offseason. In the offseason, yes, for sure. They may have to. You have to. I think so, because if that was the case, we wouldn't worry. I mean, not that we wouldn't worry, but boom, you would kind of know, all right, this defenseman's yeah. going to be coming up. If Calfoot or, you know what I mean, if he was ready yeah. to go, he would be, you know what I mean? That's how this team is. more been. time. Yeah, yeah he does. He needs more, more seasoning. All right, buddy, your time's done. Oh, man. Thank goodness. That's 20 minutes of your day. <laughs> Jay Retcher. Thanks, brother. From uh, 95.3 WDA AM 620. Also, Light the Lamp. Check that workout uh, on Lightning Power Play. We'll come back, wrap things up, get ready for the pregame. It's Lightning and Islanders on News Radio WFLA and Lightning Power Play. You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Crosby, open in front, backhand shot. What a miraculous stop. The latest news, interviews, and more. Finally! With your host, Greg Lanelli. Oh, the relief on his face! On Lightning Power Play. All right, thanks to Jay Retcher there who joined us in that previous segment. We're going to be set for Lightning and Islanders. Again, a team that has defeated the Bolts twice already this season by a combined 10 to 3 score. They don't have a ton of firepower, but they play very well defensively, and they are getting good goaltending. And that's kind of been Barry Trotz's MO when he was with Nashville, when he was with Washington. Obviously, teams that I think had more skill than this Islanders team. But, you know, again, if you're going to hold teams to under two, three goals a night, you're going to have a chance to win every game. And, uh, you know, they got 68 points. Tampa Bay was 73. And, you know, the Islanders are going to be ready. They're going to be ready to come in and sweep this season series and um, get back and 
get on a nice winning streak for them because as I said before, they're holding on to that first wild card in the East. They're coming off a 5-3 win Thursday against the Kings. That was their second win in a row. Kiefer Bellos, their first round pick uh, not too long ago, had uh, a couple of goals uh, in that game. So uh, we know about Matthew Barzell. He is probably their most elite player when you start talking about talent-wise. Uh, he can change the complexion of a game. He's got 44 points through 52 games. But then they have a bunch of other guys who basically are in that you know, 10 to 15 goal range, and they can give you anywhere between 25 and 40 points. So the Lightning, as you heard Jay and I talk about in that previous segment, this is going to test their patience and their discipline. You don't want to see too many cross-ice passes. The safe play is probably the smart play. Dump the puck in. And if you do that, I think you give yourself an opportunity to win this game, pick up some points, and see what happens. But again, having McDonough and Ruta not in the lineup, it's going to be interesting to see how Tampa Bay's defense plays tonight. Although it does look like Sergachev will be playing with Hedman. Very intrigued to see those two play because they're both having, I think, really good years. All right, pregame is up next. We're getting you a lot of player sound, coaches sound. We'll talk to Dave Michigan and Phil Esposito. Eric Erlinson will stop by. Got a number of different people that we want to talk to you about this Lightning team. And that'll be coming up in just a little bit. Getting you set for Lightning and Islanders. Thanks to Jason Berenger back in our network studios for Steve Ersnick on location. I am Greg Manali. Pre-game is up next right here on News Radio, WFLA and Lightning Power Play.